0: I've ever known why you'll find out my co-host is (laughs) I'm Lynn Cedar Childress. I make theater for young audiences and I wish I had something quippy to say, but I'm just excited to talk about um, this, but we can talk about how actually it's funny that Leslie went to a wedding in the nineties where the kids walked down the aisle, and today was their wedding. <laughs> they didn't understand. They didn't understand. <laughs> anyway, um, so and Lynn, who's our guest today? Our guest today. I'm really, really excited about. Um, it's Alex from my favorite podcast. You are good. Oh, wow. And my producer's going to get mad at me because I was kind of doing doing the um, waving back and forth in front of the <laughs> microphone thing because I'm really excited and I was dancing. Um, sorry, Sam. Yes, Alex, can you tell us about yourself?
1: Sure. Hello. I have a podcast called You Are Good and you both have been on that show and uh, we're looking forward to making that happen again. And I am... Um, I'm just like, I'm a guy who has a podcast, <laughs> but I'm not like the other guys that have podcasts. No, <laughs> no. it's not. It's, and, uh, it's, no. I like to describe our show as like not a three guys trying to out joke each other show. So it's the other kind. It's not. No, not
0: just... try to out... And try to out joke each other and they're wrong <laughs> and they're saying wrong things. And you're yelling at the thing going, no, no, that's not what that meant. <laughs> oh but they're funny guys. Yeah, we're and that's
1: what, what, ours, oh, I'm sorry, Leslie, go for it.
0: No, I was just going to say that um, Alex and Sarah Marshall, who is, co- is his co-host will usually like catch and their guests between the three of them. If someone says, didn't this come out in 1967, someone else will say, no, it came out in 1978. Because between the three of them, somebody having a normal human conversation will figure it out. It's not like these podcasts were literally, like Lynn says, the, the premise is super wrong. And you will hear people, if you listen to our podcast, that sometimes I'll say something, was it Ireland, was it Scotland? And I will say, hold on, I'll go check. And I will literally check live because I don't want to be wrong. And then base my entire premise on the wrong country. Yeah, you
1: know, we have two times ta- so it's so funny cuz we were just talking about this before we did Steel Magnolias earlier and and I notoriously can't get a name right for the life of me. I usually just <laughs> own it but I very confidently got I I mixed up Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney. Um, th- one those does. are the ninja, right? and uh, I think the only other time that we've made a uh, a mistake that egregious was we called Uncle Frank from Home Alone. I called him competently Uncle Gary, and people were <laughs> outraged. <laughs> so we try, you know. But I I think you <laughs> know the 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 concept of our show is we call it a feelings podcast about movies, and so you know we're not movie critics. We are people who have been moved by watching movies, good and bad, and that's uh, we, we talk more about the movement than the movie itself, I think.
0: I love it, because also, too, again, not to, you know, relitigate Steel Magnolias, It's one of the funny thing though, is about that movie is really not about the men at all. Yeah. So even though I had a big old crush on Dermot Moroni, I was like, oh, no, it's Dermot Moroni. It didn't really matter who it was, because that movie was not about him yeah. any exactly. way. Like Tom
1: Skerritt's character could have been played by Robert Duvall. It doesn't matter. It's just those are men in the background, and the women are at the yeah. foreground of the movie. <laughs>
0: And he would have, Robert Duvall, who, like Tom Skerritt, is a beautiful sad crier, would have (laughs) done a beautiful job of that, you know, (laughs) he would have done a beautiful job. Anyway, so Alex, (laughs) who I just adore, can you tell me what we're talking about today?
1: We are talking about, um, uh, we're talking about Siamese Dream specifically, which is a 1993 Smashing Pumpkins record. And I think in a larger way, we'll talk about Smashing Pumpkins. And in a a very specific way, uh, we'll talk about Billy Corgan.
0: (laughs) Yes. And I want to talk about all of those things. And um, we were discussing that the ages. Absolutely. Well, because uh, can I say too? So Lynn and I will uh, always be the same age because right? we are identical twins. Um, so it's not a surprise that we were both fifty-two years old and encountered this album as twenty-two-year-old people um, who just graduated from college because that's how old we were. Um, Alex, how old were you when this album came out?
1: I was t- so I, I assume you both were uh, in your early twenties. I was ten years old. Uh, Excellent. Okay. Yeah.
0: And up till then, what kind of music had
1: you listened to
0: <laughs> and what was sort of like, did it hit you right away that this was something different? Was this in the vein of things that you would listen to? Tell me about how you met this.
1: Yeah, I, so I saw, um, I think probably like everyone who enc- who this was their first encounter with this band, I saw today the the music video and then I saw the music video for Rocket and I can't remember the right, I can't remember sort of the timing of release, but um, I think I just wanted, so, so up to this moment, I, I think the only, re- the only two records I owned, and then we had some like family eight tracks. So this is like a very funny outdated <laughs> thing we had, like, so the only two records I owned, I think were a Neil Diamond collection and a, yes. um, uh, like an, like Aerosmith's first, uh, record. Oh, wow. And then our family eight track we had ac dc's back in black just because that like came with the second hand eight track someone bought and so like i listened to that here and there and then um led zeppelin's four that did not work so this is no! what we had in the house and then my parents were into were very into like well uh, my mom was like queen and my dad was like uh patty uh, uh patsy klein excuse me those were kind of their frames of reference so when this came out Um, I don't know, there was just something about like how it sounded, Um, something about like how like the guitars sound almost like feline, you know, they're like really Mm. sort of high pitched and atonal and, and doing something I hadn't experienced musically before. And then seeing these people on these music videos, one being sort of Billy Corgan driving around an ice cream truck and the other being kids sort of building an imaginary <laughs> rocket ship that they eventually fly off in. I just wanted to live in the universe that mm. this, thing cre- this thing created visually and, and orally
0: having been, you know, I was sort of a fledgling music writer in college at the time that this came out or right around the time. And that, you know, Billy Corgan says now that the studios were looking for the next Nirvana. And so they had attached all of this meaning because, you know, everyone will try to find something and you're, I imagine at 10, not like privy to the machinations of the music industry. You just (laughs) liked it because you liked it. Yes,
1: exactly.
0: Do do you Think that were you listening to all of it were you listening to the lyrics and the way and the, no. the sonic okay.
1: no i i um so so immediately beforehand i should say I, I had forgotten this entirely i was or maybe not even beforehand probably exactly at the same time uh, no i don't know it does, doesn't matter maybe a, a year or so beforehand i was like Painfully into Pearl Jam as a kid um, because it was just like <laughs> happening. You know, it was like you could, like, Pearl Jam right. was just ha- a force. Um, I, you know, we in school we could make these picture books that were like bound with cereal boxes that had like vellum sort of, uh, uh, over the, like we made these big picture books that like we went through this whole process of like writing the book, illustrating, etc. And I made a book called Pearl jam junior in the third grade. Like that's <laughs> where I was at. And so the, like, that is yeah, everything. So like the music, exactly. It, it, it was everything. And so like the, the, the mood of the time for some reason resonated with me, even though I was like, just a I don't know if it's it's hard to know in retrospect like if it resonated because it resonated or if it resonated because it was literally everywhere it was like part of the it was part of the cultural fabric but like as yeah as like like, a 10 year old I was watching like singles like I was really I bought into (gasps) what was sold to us by way of pop culture so but when this when this came out I don't know what there was about it all of these bands to your point Leslie were talked about it was Nirvana and then all the bands that got onto the radio because Nirvana essentially wiped, you know, the slate of of, right. of hair metal, etc. At least that's it, the myth it, and so, some of the business reality. But I, yes. I, there was just something about Smashing Pumpkins in particular that, where Billy Corgan was aggressive and somehow feminine and um, yes. the band was extremely androgynous. Yes. Who was a man and who was a woman. Um, And then just like the sound of people being emotional in a way that was equal parts vulnerable and aggressive was appealing.
0: Absolutely. Because I have to say, so again, we were like 22 and I'm trying to remember who at 22 I was really into music wise Kenny freaking Loggins So <laughs> seriously yeah. so Kenny Kenny Loggins had an album that came out in like 91 92 mm-hmm. called Leap of Faith which was nice. like his um divorce album environmental <laughs> album and and it's, and it's divorced, like I left it, my wife yes, yes. It's his divorce album, yeah. It's his I left my wife and to his children. He's a song that's really about I did it for you. I left my wife oh, for wow. you because I want you to be happy and see what love is really is. Forget about your mom. <laughs> that wasn't real. But uh, anyway, I was really into into that album and into um Boys to true. Men and like Shy. And I did like Nirvana and um oh Well, that was the next year, 94, was when Reality Bites Mm -hmm. came out and that soundtrack and ate that up with a spoon. Um, Everything in But I have to say that Smash, for me, Smashing Pumpkins, I knew as more of a cultural phenomenon, Mm -hmm. like everyone knew who Billy Corgan was, more than I really listened a lot to the music. I think that was one of those bands that I just figured eventually I would get into because everybody else was into And listening to this, I still last week, I started listening to the album. And it's the first time Leslie was saying, too, that I really sat down and listened to the words. Like, I knew the songs, but I didn't really, like, know, like, all of what it's saying. Because I, to me, my today story is Leslie going to this wedding, right, in the 90s of these cute little Christian kids. And And that was there. That's what was so funny about it. Because I went to a church that was very, it was a white evangelical church in Pennsylvania. And it was very, um you know, hey, we're the cool people and we've got this band and it's, you know, we play music and we would sometimes would like, when we would have these evening things in the youth, uh, like the young adult ministry, we would play some stuff and we would never have played that song, but they played it at the wedding. So I went to the wedding and they were, I was in my late 20s then. So they would have been, they were younger than me. They would have been in their early 20s. So they would have encountered these songs in their teens. And so for them, playing a smashing pumpkin song at their church. Was the coolest thing that they ever could have imagined, and so that that was their recessional. They said, "I do, I do." Jesus says, "You can be married and kiss now." Um, and now they walk down <laughs> the aisle, and it's crunchy and it's wonderful. And they're like, "We got away with something because we're playing the Smashing Pumpkin song, and they don't know what the lyrics are." Which Lynn had said today that it was about his feeling suicidal. You know, yep. they're not paying attention to this. Because not only were they old enough, they were old enough that, but I think that there's so much of what you're saying, Alex, about when you meet a piece of media at a certain time, it is frozen in time sometimes, even though you go back and, t- and listen to it and appreciate it in a different way, you're that kid all over over again in a certain way who's, who's loving this and appreciating it. So even if they understood those lyrics, they couldn't hear that mm-hmm. sure. over – they probably started dating in high school and said, "And we're gonna have today as our recessional." We walked down the aisle because <laughs> it's about a
1: day, and it's
0: that day today. It's the greatest Sima-
1: day I've ever so known. Similarly, uh, similarly, like weirdly placed use of today was the I was the class of two thousand one in high school, and the class of ninety seven. All kids I looked up to and enjoyed and had had friendships with, and this will tie back to that in another story um selected today as their class song which they sang at their graduation which made makes so much sense because they you know they came into school in 93 they graduated in 97 right. it, like it it really made a lot of sense like ours was like a letter's kindred song embarrassingly <laughs> but they it just made so much sense that they picked this song and it was such a bad Rendition, like they they all sang it together, and there's like these weird things that the song does that you can't capture in a group singing of the song, and um, we had this we had this uh, uh study hall monitor who was also the ROTC instructor named Major Finch. I'm sure he had a first name, I don't know what it was, but Major Finch <laughs> said, you know, I, I, that later that day because they sang it at the assembly, I was like, well, what would you think of a, uh, what would you think of the uh the performance and he was like it was a disgrace frankly <laughs> and i remember loving the song even more because like, <laughs> i was like this is what friends- rock and roll supposed to do <laughs>
0: Exactly. Major Finch. Unapproved. <laughs>
1: yeah. So so similarly, like my, so this, this stuff was around, like I said, I like saw it on TV and wanted to, you know, it was very much the impact of, of cable on culture. Um, it was, you know, right. it was, it was everywhere. And, and, but the first thing that like nailed it into my brain um, by way of like, it started to feel like part of like my culture or a thing I wanted to aspire more towards was I, so I grew up in a town of 1,200 people. Our high school was a consolidated school district of five, and still there were only 420 kids in a school that was eight through 12. So, like, it was Whoa. a small, wow. small school. And so, for fun, you know, before the internet came into the house, <laughs> um, uh, I would go out. Once my father would go to sleep and I just like walk around the town and just see what would happen. And like usually you'd like run into someone or someone was like driving from point A to point B. And I'm I'm, I'm, something for people who can't see me now. I'm six foot five. I've always looked as a result, a couple of years older than how old I really am. And so when I was right. 12, I was walking around, and uh, uh, this this woman who had become a friend of mine and was part of the class of 97, again, I was part mm-hmm. of the class of 2001, she drove by. I'd seen her at parties, and she was like, I'm going into Portland, which is about 35 miles from Cornish. It's this it's the city that you would go to if you wanted to do anything, and it's like 11 mm-hmm. p.m. Right. I'm with a friend who's, who's staying at my house. We're walking. She's like, do you want to come with me to Portland? We we're like, hell yeah. So we drive with her to portland we go to her b- portland, portland Maine. thank you very much yeah we go to her boyfriend's house who is very obviously in retrospect a drug dealer like extremely obviously <sighs> in retrospect a drug dealer we go and hang out like while she's like in the room with him and we are out in the living room with just like the guys who also live at the house and they're watching some vhs of smashing pumpkin, like some VHS like compilation it's like and it's like clearly taped from stuff because it's got like the VHS squigglies and stuff and we're watching it and I was like oh like this is what life is like outside of town you know and and it just felt like it it like like because because again your 12 year old eyes i'm like these are like cooler older people like do and this is what they do they like listen to smashing pumpkins and they watch it (laughs) and they talk about it and like whatever and so it felt like it, it was like part of the fabric of like my performance of becoming not from my town you know it's like this is like what these people do
0: do you remember what any of the conversations were that they I, said? I any of the things that they that's said? That's such
1: a great question. <laughs> and I'm afraid that I i imagine it was not super deep. Like, I think <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone was high no, as a kite when we got there. And I was just like, ah, yay. Like, whatever. Like, I feel like, you know, just like the stupid shit you do when you're a kid because you think you're invincible. No, um, I just went in and yeah. I
0: was just having. No, I was just having a conversation with one of my best friends who we actually just recorded with right before that. But I went to a, a small college in Southern Maryland called St. Mary's College of Maryland, and there wasn't a lot happening on campus, but there was a lot of off-campus parties, and all the a lot of the off-campus party houses had names. It was like literally was like Oak Tree House, whatever <laughs> house, right? But there was this one house that we called. The house where if you fall asleep, they write on your face with a sharp Sure, sure. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and it was that was the house. And so when you were telling this story about that, I immediately flashed back to the house where people draw on your face and had a friend who fell asleep once <laughs> and another friend wanted her face <laughs> serves you right Um for falling asleep yeah, at the house. Yeah, like, this was – I'm trying shopping. to
1: imagine like what – this was like – and maybe it's just because i'm conflating the media i knew at the time with like my memories but like this was seriously just like a house filled with extras from the movie singles like it was like <laughs> it was like like matt dylan's band from singles like in a
0: beloved in uh, Belgium. Yes. citizen dick yes. yes it was citizen, citizen dick. Hey, that's who C- i was sitting Touch with me it on was dick. Citizen
1: dick. that's exactly who i was with
0: And so Leslie and I totally, and I want to tell the story, but now we can tell it because you brought up singles again. Leslie and I totally have singles lore. We have lines from singles that we use, including Sheila Kelly's The Earrings That No One Loves But Me (laughs) that she talks about. Um, But also more importantly is Bridget Fonda, who was dating Matt Dillon's character, Mm -hmm. and she always wanted people to say, God bless you or tight <laughs> when she sneezed and she sneezes to test him. And he says, I got a gig, babe. Don't get me sick. And then in her head, you hear her saying, I could just break up with him. I don't need this. And Leslie and I for 30 years have used the phrase. I, we pulled a Bridget Fonda <laughs> as a phrase of when you realize you don't need to be someplace and you that can just I literally <laughs> used that in a column for something completely different. And three people emailed me and said, Oh my God, I thought I'm the only person who, Um, who remembered that. And it's funny because bringing it back to Smashing Pumpkins, like it's because you hear a thing and it becomes important to you. At (laughs) what point, I guess, was it at that party that you thought, okay, this band has now reached this moment where it's not just something that was important to me when I came in at 10, but they've reached a level of like, they mean something specific symbolically to this culture. And what do you think that was?
1: Yeah, I think, so I think for me, um, it it was less i i I realize increasingly you know i'm I'm part of that the generation of people where depending on the person they may or may not have had the internet at their house and so and so there's Mm -hmm. like kind of like a very for like a cluster of people like there's a very clear line between like before the internet was everywhere and after the internet was everywhere and Mm -hmm. and I and we didn't have the internet and we had it early for a very specific and strange series of reasons we had it early compared to everyone that I went to school with but I was still 14 and Mm. so I as a result I realized how little I knew about what my life was like in context of what everyone else's life was like, you know, it's like kids on TikTok now, like they 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 are able to see how other kids live elsewhere, and I had right. no outside of going to like Boy Scout things, which was which mm. was a very always a very strange experience for me because I'm extremely sort of like a fet and sensitive. Was like you know you go to other schools and people would be like, "Welcome to our school," and I'd be like, "I don't want to be here. Like I, if this is." <laughs> If this is a con- or you go to camp and it was always so like sexually aggressive and strange at like 10 and I was like I don't this sucks so bad like I don't want to be a part of this so like those the ways or church events like I just would anytime there'd be a thing where you'd see the outside world I was like I don't like it i I truly don't like what it's like <laughs> but I had no way of knowing if my life was the way other people's lives were, or if other people's lives were the same way that mine was, you know, again, you'd see stuff right. on on cable and it was all manufactured. And so like we hadn't yet really outside of the real world. We hadn't really yet entered a, yes. a, a proliferation of, of, of um, reality TV. So I just had no idea how other people outside of my school district lived. And then going to another place where there were people who are like me, but a handful of years older, Mm-hmm. Doing this, listening to stuff that I listen to, but like at a deeper level, like they yes. they had, you know, they had, where'd they get this fucking video? You know, like where'd they get, where? how do they know this? Like where did they source yes. this? And then right. I spent, I'm only now realizing this, and I know that this is kind of why we do podcasts, but like I then spent so much money after that um i had jobs and stuff as a kid and would would work and and buy just random stuff i bought so many like like collections of music videos like music documentaries like behind the scenes stuff Me too. and i think it was all because of that time that i ended up at that house as i was like this is how you appreciate music like you learn everything you can about it you you know you embed yourself in it and um and it, not, no one said to your to your great question, Lynn. No one said anything special to to <laughs> to do that, but they performed it. You know what I mean? Like they were doing it naturally. Uh. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Um, um, I maybe spent a little too much time trying to become a guy. And then becoming a guy who would sit around and, like, watch Smashing Pumpkin videos while they were stoned. Um, and that led to its own series of issues. But, like, I, you know, I, for the right. most part, I appreciate the performed fandom. So, th-
0: tell me, I guess, how, you know, <laughs> in the scheme of things, when we're talking about Billy Corgan <laughs> and about Smashing Pumpkins, it's hard. It's It sucks To have to put art into like categories or or rankings or that kind of thing, what you know, we're now like 30 years later. Tell me, I guess, sort of how, yeah. And I feel terribly dirty for saying that, but (laughs) because that makes me 52. Um, Can you tell me how they fit sort of musically into the canon of early 90s um, bands and what those other bands might be that were comparable or that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I it, this is an interesting one. And I, and and I want to say I, I kind of picked this as like a guilty pleasure and I even have a complicated relationship with that because I kind of don't Mm. I I, kind of don't believe in guilty pleasures for a lot of specific reasons. Like, I just think, you know, I think any Mm. shame that people have around the kind of media they consume can lead to them having shame about themselves. Like, there's reasons that are are long cultivated and whatever. But, like, the reason this is a guilty pleasure for me is, like, Mm. I kind of feel like if you're, like, I'm a Smashing Pumpkins. I'm not a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Like, that's the interesting thing. Like, just (laughs) this record, I listen to. I love it all the time. I don't listen. I tried to listen to 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 um Melancholy Me Infinite Sadness which was like my record when I was a kid because it came out and it right. just was everywhere. Yes. I, Everywhere. Tried to, I tried to listen to it a lot long ago and i was like this is long and boring like i this is like <laughs> weird there are a couple songs i like about it whatever and i i didn't get into gish which came up beforehand i didn't listen to all the other stuff i'm just kind of a fan of this record in particular and and so so i'm i'm only off offering that as a caveat that i'm not like a smashing pumpkins uh expert oh, in fine. case someone is listening and they're like oh but the um <laughs> I do. Uh, so so as far as like how they play in, I mean, I think like what was happening at the time, because, mm-hmm. you know, record labels were trying to do everything they could to replicate the success of grunge, which was defined yes. by mm-hmm. essentially like a moodiness, um, uh, certain kind of like downset guitar tunings, like atonal guitar mm-hmm. tunings, like a in a shewing of a specific sort of machismo but then an adoption of another kind of machismo. <laughs> they were like let's change the right. flavor of machismo. Um, um they you know and, and then like the uh it, it's characterized by this interesting thing that Billy Corgan does with his voice where like it is objectively annoying and high pitched and mm-hmm. um um uh but extremely always seemingly heartfelt in whatever emotion is being presented um and it feels like kind of you know it it, it, uh, this is strictly from pulling from the wikipedia entry um but like billy corgan does mention that sort of the uh, uh uh a big sort of stylistic influence was, was Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. And that makes a lot of sense to me. It's just like guitars making car noises and sounding like cats getting attacked. (laughs) (laughs) With
0: feelings. feelings? With feelings. They're sad about it, but they're doing it anyway. Um, (laughs) It reminded me, I was reading in research for this uh, episode about how you were t- you said you know there's this thing sort of in the lore of music that Nirvana came out and everyone immediately wanted to burn Axel Rose at the stake. It's like we're <laughs> over, this is over, you know, whatever. But there is honestly, if we're being honest, so much of a flow between those things. I oh, mean, for and sure. when you listen to when you listen to Smashing Pumpkins, you hear the influences of of metal and the hard rocking, yes there's there's dissonance but there's also really crunchy guitars and if you were a person who didn't know anything about any of this music and you just walked by a store where it was being played you might not be able to pick out the differences between well that and it would probably kill billy corgan He would cry and say okay i'm done i can't make music anymore but you would say i don't know the difference between those things i mean obviously there's nuances
1: And there's a tremendous... um, I haven't read many of the books in the 33 and the third series, but one that I have read is by Eric Weisbard, um, and it's about Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. And I think, and I loved those records too. I loved, I loved, I I loved Guns N' Roses, again, because it was like around, I wasn't quite old enough to like choose a side, you know what I mean? And so like, I didn't give a shit. Like it was just, if it was around and it was doing something I enjoyed, I listened to it. Um, And, and, uh, but like, I, I bring up that book because he kind of makes the point that exactly the point that you just made leslie and that it's like we kind of talk about these and it's like very simple in retrospect to go like this went over here and this went over here and then we kind of split and yes like a series of business decisions kind of made that happen but like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these were like right these were all androgynous men in their 20s uh for the most part um um Making right. angry music to to deal with their you know it was <laughs> it, to to deal to to try to process their emotions second and get laid first like I mean it's like it's it's yes it's what was happening <laughs> and so to like say yeah, like culturally <laughs> like sure like the culture of Sunset Boulevard in the eighties was probably different than mm, the culture right. of a lot of the places that these other bands were coming out of. And it was reflected in sort of the attire and posturing and stuff, but that's kind of it.
0: <laughs> and, and that there's a purity assigned to the music yes. of the early nineties to the, the um, Rob. Uh, Robert Villa, who I am supposed to be on a show on 60 songs that explain the 90s, where he talks the Green Day episode, which is brutal because they're in this place in Oregon. Is it Oregon? Uh, no, in uh, in Washington. That's a great episode. Yes. Where they talk about how the place that they played pals was like anyone who who gets signed to a major, a major label is dead to us. Yes. And so they do and they go, you can't play here anymore. We don't like you anymore. And so this, this at least they were honest. They were like, This is who we are. We're not playing the two, the two together. It's not really like cool to you get a label deal. You got a label deal. You can't play here anymore. But the the purity that's attached to these things, I'm a big old cheeser. I mean, literally cheese is in the name of our podcast. So I have never been a person that was culturally snobby about I mean when we were growing up, it was like I bought the first two Prince albums and you've never heard of them. So you can't be a Prince fan. And I bought the first REM album and you don't know what it is. And you only like them when they started playing them on the radio. Meanwhile, Prince and Michael Stipe cashed those checks. So if you think they had a problem (laughs) with people knowing who they were, they sure didn't. so the fact that we attach this, okay, this is this thing. I mean, Poison is terrible, but I love them to oh, this day.
1: Oh, my God. So great. I so love great. Poison
0: so much. Yeah. Objectively things, bad, like, but great. Objectively bad. Objectively bad. The fact bad. that C.C. DeVille is a <laughs> classically trained musician and thought, but I'll get more girls Amen. if I do this. God bless him. Well, so the, the, we recorded an episode last week that was about, that's going to come on maybe next week, uh, that was about... um of men, androgynous men, uh, men wearing makeup sure. and clothes. It, it was sort of springboarding off of Harry Styles, but kind of going um, back to that. And we told the story, though. So Leslie and I saw Poison in, like, 2006, right? 2005, 2006, the revival tour or yeah. whatever. And we're all singing, we'll be at the drop-in. <laughs> and no, we're no, singing no. it. And I was like... We should be embarrassed singing this out loud. <laughs> you know? Behind the bushes. Oh why why so are we great. doing? But but it was it was fun. I remember washing the dishes. Literally the first time I heard that song, we would have like the radio and the as we were like washing dishes. I remember hearing that song being like, What the heck is this? 1986 or 77 or whatever it was. But yeah, um, how things are cool till they're not cool and then the next cool comes in and the people before us were posers but we're real and there there were
1: certainly like there was i remember a lot of that happening um so there there, this brings up a handful of things for me like one is that I, i think one thing that people forget and it's it's not to say it made it better or worse but like there were there were In a way, particularly when Green Day was first coming out, and then eventually when, meaning like when they, you know, before before Dookie came out, when they were like assembling as a band, like there were some there were some avenues to record and release records that were not on major labels, where you Mm -hmm. could like potentially make some money, and there were like expectations Mm -hmm. that if you had a particular kind of worldview that you'd have to honor it through the kind of business that you did and i and 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 that's kind of where that stemmed from and then and then you know um and and mtv came along and uh uh you know corporate consolidation of radio stations and and a lot of stuff came along that made doing business very do or die and and so uh, you know i love a lot of the bands that i know eschewed green day uh uh you know, ideologically, but I also know that a lot of those bands, like uh, those guys don't have dental. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> and, and so I don't, I don't, I'm not upset at <laughs> anyone for picking an insurance plan, you know? So, so, no. so there's, and, and it's like, now. you know, in, in the disparity between a small late 80s early 90s record label and then what a larger one could do for you was pretty vast but then the trade-off was what you would be allowed to do and so there was there's all these interesting conversations that are worth having around that but like the um the way that it manifested i remember the way that it manifested for us like people who are into this types of music and then into like quote when I say alternative music, I don't necessarily mean like what was played built on the radio as alternative music, but music that that right. was not immediately the, the the friends of these kinds of bands, the friends like yeah. the Melvins, like the friends of the bands of like yes. Smashing Pumpkins and stuff. They they when we you know smashing pumpkins would be like our gateway to all of the other things we'd find all of the other things because you'd you know you'd find a guy who 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 had a relationship with a record store or whatever you'd you'd get that stuff Uh, and then the way that we honored it was you know we were our our dress code was was buying at like you know goodwill when it was just ratty clothes um um and then you'd (laughs) you know you'd sew patches into it and wear nail polish i wore sarongs like it was like a very sort of of the time there was a dress code and there was like a um but like no i don't remember who assigned it you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yes. And No one came along it was like, you have to do this. But like, we all did that. Like, I remember one time we were like all, I remember like all the friends I had around this music we were like sitting in the park and we were like sewing patches into our pants that we just got at the, at the, at the bargain barn for 25 cents. Like it was a. Very, like, I have these very specific feelings and memories from the time that this came out and we were unified by this for some reason. And, you know, like all of, like I said, all of the, these were, I think the reason that a record like this is so special is I don't ever, I don't ever sit and think like, okay, what, what did, um, uh, what did, what did Smashing Pumpkins like open the door for, for me? But, you Mm -hmm. know, right. The when I listen to anything I've ever listened to and been drawn to since, it almost it more certainly than not has some association with this music. Like it's like I love it. you know it's like it's the genre. Like I got into like shoe, I got into Sonic Youth and like shoegaze, and like different kinds of stuff yeah. because yeah. like this paved the way for me to get into it. And so I kind I you know I owe it a lot. What
0: well, that fascinates me too because we went back to like. Some sometimes people listen to things when they're younger, and then they go, "I never listened to it again," <laughs> and then you know like, that. that was terrible. <laughs> and then you know, and then sometimes you listen to things like I listen to the music that I love now, and I at, in my fifties I listen to very few, very little new music because it's not for me. It's not. I listen to the new music of the people I already liked, but I don't listen necessarily to like if we just saw Crowded House, um, which was a phenomenal show at the Anthem in D.C. last week. Credit House has been my pretty my favorite band pretty much since I was 15 years old. Um, and people came in and out, but there was always that. And the fact that, like I said, they are musically related to people like Sean Colvin and Mary Chapin Carpenter and all the stuff that I liked in my 20s is not surprising because the that seed was set. But also, I became a Stevie Wonder fan when I was five. And Steve, yeah. you talk to a lot of these people and they'll mention Stevie Wonder or they'll cover Stevie Wonder song. It's because the things that he was doing, particularly with his, you know, wacky 70s output, you know, which is my favorite stuff, that set the the stage for, even though I'm not, I'm a singer. I'm not like a really good musician. I'm a terrible guitar player. But the kinds of things that I like aren't too far from that. And when so, when a musician says, I'm a Stevie Wonder fan, I go, well, that makes sense. Yeah. Because... I'm a fan of that. What, what, um, uh, the chili peppers have a, a version of higher yeah, ground yeah. on which, which, uh, I think, may the first so... higher
1: ground to listen to, embarrassingly.
0: <laughs> nope. But yeah, what, sort of like, what whatever, I, I, I you know, people get snobby about, oh, you didn't know the original, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But I feel sort of like whatever entryway yes. you have into sure. music is awesome. Cause then you can go back and be like, oh, that was the original. And then you can decide sure. if you like it or not. Like my child is, is 10, almost 11. He'll be 11 in a couple of days. And we'll hear like a song. He goes, they ripped off of so-and-so. I'm like, honey, no. Yeah. They didn't rip off anybody. <laughs> that was already theirs. But then it's like, but do you like it? And he'll actually go back and go, okay, I listened to it. I still like the other one better. I was like, well, cool. But at least now you oh. know sort of what that what that came from. Like, Leslie, what did your child, was it? Um, Lovely Day by um, Bill Weathers, and your sense that it was the song from Secret Life of Pets. Oh no, no, it was it was um, September was the song from uh, Trolls, yes. right? Isn't oh that- my oh, God, it's yeah. three, and we're we're sitting in our, our driveway in West Palm Beach at the time, and September comes on, and I'm like, you know, once again, we grew up. I think. Musical, our musical influences are Stevie Wonder and Earth Wind and Fire. I mean, that's sure. almost and, and the BGS and Barbara Streisand and and the Temptations wow. and that. Diana Ross. I mean, and Diana Donna Summer. All that stuff was our thing. So uh, it's do 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 do. And I start singing. He goes, "That's the song from Trolls." And I said, "Not in this car, young man. Not in this in this song. This car. That song is by Earth Wind and Fire." And how? How dare you. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but, but yeah, you come in where he comes in to him. Here comes a song son is a Sheryl Crow song sung in the B movie.
1: Right. right. So
0: the minute I could, I played on the Beatles version. He goes, I like that, but I like the lady singing it better. And I'm a Show Crow fan, so I'm not going to ever begrudge him liking a Show Crow thing. But I just, as long as you know where it's from, and as long as, I mean, there's this thing that's happening right now on Twitter where these young people will go, well, no one really liked Diana Ross. What? She no <laughs> one ever gave her, her, stuff like that. Who ever gave Dion Warwick her flowers? I'm like, Dion Warwick <laughs> gave herself her flowers. So this whole idea that nothing makes, no, nothing exists until you discovered it thus You're columbusing right. it um is so crazy to me and now that like you said Alex because you have everyone has the internet so everyone has equal access to discovering a thing wherever they discover it and making it new I discovered Laura Nero Laura as a songwriter because I was into singer songwriters and who were female and then I got a suggestion of the, of her stuff, and I knew half the songs like "Wedding Bell Blues." Me, half the stuff that I liked, she art she wrote, and I went, "Oh, I get it." But I didn't say, "No one's ever heard of her," because obviously someone had. Right. It just wasn't me, and it was okay because I was wasn't born when most of these songs well, were written.
1: Yeah, and that's like sort of speaking of the being a person who remembers like pre, not pre-internet, but being a person who remembers like. Um, you know when you couldn't just look stuff up immediately i owe so right. much to covers i owe so much to yeah. covers that were on soundtracks oh, yeah. in particular and like you know i found out about the you know the commodore's easy by faith no more because they covered it and had a giant, right. a giant hit with that and then and then um speaking of of um uh, uh, speaking of Red Hot Chili Peppers, like that's how I learned about a lot of songs early, and like you know, like then like um, a whole covered Gold Dust Woman, like there there were all mm. these all these right. people of that time who, you know, I feel like covers are you know, covers are fraught in some ways because sometimes it just feels like a a label cash grab where they're like, we know people like this song. We know people like this band. Let's put it together and make it happen. But like, (laughs) I owe a a lot of the covers from that time um, a lot because, you know, when I would find out that they're covers, I would go and find out who the band was Uh and find out sort of like who was responsible for it. Stevie Wonder, you know, being, you know, a lot of stuff was traceable back to Stevie Wonder.
0: So so many things. <laughs> and, um that Jodice uh, uh, Casey and Jojo early nineties did that lately. Um uh, people are like by Casey and Jojo, like the heck it is, <laughs> but yes, it, it, much is is um traced back to them. So um you we were talking about at the very beginning about talking about Siamese Dream and then Smashing Pumpkins and then Billy sure. Corinth. Um <laughs> What what what? what, But I love this conversation. What was it? Is there anything about the lyrics listening to the now? Because you say you listen to this album frequently. Is it anything about the lyrics that hit you now that hit
1: you differently? I I, like I I, and I hate to give a disappointing answer to that. I don't know what they're (laughs) singing about. I to be honest, like (laughs) I don't have. There are a few songs where I'm like I am moved. Because I, for some reason, I just don't experience music in the way where like, you know, I had this, I remember I I dated this woman at this time. Well, we were kids uh, when we were teenagers. I dated this this, uh, uh, woman, Larissa, and she would get a new record and she would sit down like it was the olden days. And a beautiful, I say this beautifully and and with love and respect, I always appreciated this. She would sit down, she would listen to it, she would read the lyrics with the record (gasps) until she memorized it. You know me too so cool. me too that's such a cool way to go about it that never struck me ever as a way to engage music like I thought it that's was awesome. I thought it was great she was she remembered every Ani Franco lyric ever written she knew mm. it all she had total recall she you know the, the music we were listening to at that time was very funny Anita Franco like sublime saves the day it was a very funny story but she knew mm. every word to every song she ever consumed and she and she would prioritize based on sort of like how sitting with those words what that would mean for her etc um you know i i'm just vibes <laughs> 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 large legends <relations But>, vibes <laughs> i love that i don't i couldn't tell you i mean outside of having read about sort of what they said about the songs like i could kind of tell you what the songs are about right. but rocket which is a song that i love which makes me emotional which i i get cry over depending on sort of when i'm listening to it, which song? called rocket which is on on uh, yes. okay sort of, yeah, yeah i do not know what that song's about i have no idea what that song's about but like the overall movement of how that song works and that's and that's i think the thing you know, I, I hadn't until I'm thinking about it now, I hadn't realized how fully and then saw that him talking about my bloody Valentine, how fully um, influenced by shoegaze which which as like a genre is just drony sort of yeah. vibes and feelings i hadn't realized how much like that is what resonates with me more than like the lyric the lyricality do you do you ever do a thing where i i did this about five years ago i remember when spotify was doing their wrapped thing and they yes. were they just started doing the rap thing i got the most embarrassing rap which was it was like, your number one album was the, was White Zombie's first major label <laughs> album. And then your number one songs, 10 songs, was every song from that record. And I, yes. I don't know why. I didn't grow up listening to that record. But for some reason, I put it on one day because I was curious because it was around when I was a kid. I put it on, listen, and just something clicked in me where I was like, mm. I don't know what they're singing about because it's impossible to know i don't know (laughs) what is happening here but something about this entire package is fully moving me in a way where like it's a comfort record it's a rage record it's a i need to be i need to you know feel good vibes or it just became an everything record i remember before that there was a there was a um uh shit what's perry Farrell's been? jane's addiction one of the jane's, jane's addiction, addiction records yeah. uh-huh. when my dad died i got so into mm. jane's addiction's first record i wore out the tape i couldn't listen to the tapes in my car oh my goodness anymore i wore it through so i don't some records just do that and i could not tell right. you for the life of me what they're saying
0: But and once again, that's why we do this show, because the show is like pick a thing you think is cheesy or other people think it's cheesy and you don't care. You come and talk about it. And there's always because there's something emotional, whether it's because the lyrics get you deeply or because of when you listen to it or when you heard it. Or because of who gave it to you, or introduced it to you. Um, there's that scene in *Depot Society* when a terrible teacher is like, "This is how you listen to a poem. Right? And you have to sit down and you have to know this, And people are like, or you can just vibe it and like it. Right. You know. I mean, Lynn knows I had a side hustle in eighth grade. I used to listen to song lyrics and write them down. This was, you know, in 1984. I would just write down a song lyric on a piece of sheet paper, and people would pay me five cents, you know, or 25 cents or whatever it is to give it to them. I was hustling, you know, hustle hustle. Um, but it, it worked, and I was probably. Ninety-two percent right about most of those lyrics. Um, I was pretty confident, and no one ever. I someone's like, "That's not what this is," and someone else says that yeah, it does. I go, "Oh, then he does." Where's my quarter? Um, but I think that there. It was a dollar. Was Leslie. it? A, was it a dollar? Oh no! I thought it was a dollar. Oh wow! I'm sorry. I, was I could be wrong. Anyway, in 1984. <laughs> oh, Leslie, you know, getting that money. Um, but I think that I know now that there is no pure way to experience like i said my son listening to something that means something to me we went to the school of rock show that they were doing no nobody was in school of rock we just heard they were doing like a bowie tribute we're like yeah we'll go and it was a bunch of parents are like do you have any kids here and we go no but this boy this boy will go to school of rock quick sign up for um for camp so we don't look weird so he'll be doing the school the, the <laughs> school of rock uh 90s camp this summer in which he will probably do a smashing pumpkins song i'll bring it back but um, we're watching it. We're watching these kids who never heard of any of this because they literally, they, their parents probably weren't born when some of this music came out. So we go home and they played all this stuff. And he has a Google Nest. So he'll say, Google, play the song that says whatever, whatever, whatever. And it was, they had played Bowie's Young Americans.
1: Mm.
0: And he goes... <laughs> I, I like this, but it doesn't sound like when the kid did it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to go beat myself in the face now. <laughs> David Bowie did not match the brilliance of some 11 year old,
1: you know, who's
0: out of key. It's oh like, but I don't. is it like, because that's where he met. He fell in love with the song five hours earlier, before we went to fondue, um, and ate a lot of fondue, um, and wanted to come home. Cheese, yes, and wanted cheese exactly. Wanted to cre- recreate this moment, and I thought I can either stomp on this moment i can let him have it totally
1: which is and great i, I yeah. went up
0: i went upstairs and was sad about it <laughs> but that was my thing yeah that that's why because i wanted to tell him about do you listen to the background it's luther vandross He was luther vandross and i wanted to give him a whole and, and iman, an iman and understanding of bowie's connection that she had to black american culture he's like where's the 11 year old kid yeah, that yeah, sang yeah. the song that he was to him the original and i was like he gets to have that. And now he loves that song. He listens to it. Which is so smart because
1: how much of it, uh, when I think of how much stuff I didn't let into my life, because I thought that that was theirs. Do you know what I mean? Like that's like, I wanted to love this music because it was my music and, and that other music was their music. And that's how, that's how pop culture worked in a big way too. Like it wasn't a like, let's embrace all genres. It was a very sort of tribal as it means, like selling records and stuff. But like, I think, you know, because you know i i would listen to something and my father would be like that's you know he'd have some opinion on it and and so i would i just like immediately developed an adversarial relationship with his music which was great his music was great the music he loved was great um but like i couldn't hear it because like that was like part of his identity he like shat Mm. on the stuff that i wanted to listen to and so i think it's a very wise choice to be you know to be like you have the thing that you like, and that's great. And maybe someday we'll talk about why it bums me out that you preferred an 11 year old version of it. (laughs) It wants to not sort of like jump, jump into it. And, um, you know, I, I, the one thing I do want to say about like, why I think that this record resonated or why I think this band resonates. And, and, and again, the reason I think that I, I, I articulate that this is a guilty pleasure is because, you know, um, Billy Corgan sort of showed his ass in a big way as just being kind of like a, a, a broadly embarrassing person <laughs> yeah yes. um, but like is it, is it clearly a brilliant composer and clearly is yes. like dealing with you know dealing with big feelings that he doesn't know how to do with a lot of the time but he um the one thing I do want to say about this that I think stood out that I couldn't tell you that I thought this at the time, but like when I learned the things, I'm like, that makes sense. This was one of the bands that was trying to be sold as like Nirvana, like at the very least an alternative to the, the music that was very popular for the, you know, seven or eight years that preceded it that was considered rock. Right. Um, Yes. This is cold weather music. And I think that that's, like, these guys uh-huh. are from Chicago, and you can hear it. And, like, I'm not surprised that I got, like, really into White Zombie's first record, because those guys are from Boston, and you can hear it. Uh-huh. Like, I, it's weird that I got really into the um, the James Addiction record, because those guys are from L.A., and you can feel it. Yeah, but, they like, are. The, um Yeah, they like, just, like, Absolutely. sex monsters, like, whatever the <laughs> fuck they are. Like, <laughs> just, like it feels like it's los angeles california um it's just dirty you just feel dirty (laughs) You're like, should I be listening to him? Um,
0: You're like, covering your drink. Girls, don't talk to him. <laughs> yeah, don't, you know don't I'm <laughs>
1: attracted to him, but I do not trust him. Um, so, yeah, that, there's That's kind my of- life, man. <laughs> that, oh,
0: that's my whole Lord, life. How did that's you a know? That's a whole know?
1: vibe. <laughs> oh, God. But, like, yeah. these, these mm. there's something about this. And there, there was something about grunge, too, because it was like, it was it, it, the, the, the initial prototypes came from Seattle, Washington, which is a different kind of, right. you know, gray and wet um mm-hmm. but this is like cold music <laughs> and and it i is, felt that
0: there's something beautiful about it like uh, melancholy and the infinite sadness was the album that i really got into i think i owned that tape somewhere i may have gotten it from a columbia house situation where they sent it to me i didn't want to of send course. it back but um but i columbia house kids it's a thing they sent you you sent a, a penny and they sent you uh that you had to attach with a piece of tape in by snail mail and then they would send you albums and then it was in, incredibly hard to get them to stop so you would just stop paying for it and then eventually they would go away but it took a long time it was so like cake here had...
1: basically as you like let it in your house and it was just would not leave
0: <laughs> never and it was like albums that were like $10 in the store, but they were charging like 30 bucks for them or something because <laughs> of the shipping a... and whatever. <laughs> and you're like, wait, Ugh. this doesn't seem like a good deal at all. You mean corporate America has failed me? and <laughs> put with me to a, into a contract that is not uh, advantageous to me? Yes. Um. So I remember listening to this album and Bull with Butterfly Wings was one of those oh, sure. songs that, and I was in my mid-20s at that point. So I understood it both as a... Something that was about what people thought young people were—that they were these kind of feral rage monster kind of people—but I also understood, forgive me, Billy, that it was navel gazy bullshit. Yeah. Um. Because sure. it was, it was <laughs> Damn, really. very much like it was like little. It was like a little kid going, "I'm so angry. Here's a song about my yeah. anger," and I don't want to be a person that says if there are people that this resonated with and it resonated with me at the same time. I was very um, critical of it because I understood both sides of it. And I understood that, yes, there are people for whom that song resonated with their anger. And I'm, I know that I'm angry, but my angry anger goes nowhere. I'm a rat in a cage and I would gnaw my way out and kill you if I could, but I can't. And my anger is ineffectual ineffectual, and my anger is impotent and all that kind of thing. And I go, I get it. But also I was probably looking to buy houses at that point probably (laughs) when it it came out. And so I was going, okay, I guess also I liked my parents. I was a fairly (laughs) well-adjusted girl. I, my career was going well. I got a job right out of college. Um, well, well, there's, the, some, there's, there's something later, there's know.
1: something wrong with white masculinity, like across the board. Mm. There's something deeply wrong with it, and and so and I've had this really interesting. R- not masculinity, not all masculine. Obviously, I'm talking about toxic masculinity, but that is the default yes, right. for many, and I can only speak racially to one specific experience, which is a white oh, experience, you're right, right. And, it's, and so I'll speak to white toxic masculinity, and I've, I've had this oscillating relationship with looking back on 90s culture and yes. being like, what were we so angry about? Um, because uh, uh, <laughs> but it is where school shootings is started to you know, uh, started yeah. to take place. And like by that. no means am I one of the people who was like school shootings happened because of Marilyn Manson. but there was something happening <laughs> in the culture, particularly yeah. in like white alienated <sighs> boy culture that yep. was a rage that was not being dealt with and yes. and mm. not being mm-hmm. channeled correctly or being turned in or being praised works like being mm. praised and sort of elevated being sort of like whatever and, right. and there were different manifest like I've gotten really weirdly I was never into it at the time but I've gotten really into the history of of professional wrestling lately and mm. so right at this time that this is out like is like the WWEs or at the time WWF's like attitude era mm-hmm. so like this is like yes. when it's like oh, it's yeah. like we start to see the beginnings of like, you know, Trump America stuff is under the surface. And now yeah, it's just yeah, the beginning yeah. of like, it's above the surface. And so well, and it's, musically, you had these people who are like, I'm having these feelings and I need to talk about these feelings. Or you had people who were like, I'm going to destroy everything around me.
0: I'm going to destroy. And it's funny. I, my, my late husband was a giant uh, wrestling fan and there is a dusty Rhodes quote on his <laughs> gravestone. So That's amazing. Um, I've done, <laughs> I've dined with kings and queens and I've dined in alley eating pork and beans. And it just says, "stop control service. We were like, what does that mean? Because we didn't want to explain it because it was stupid. And I was like, when I'm crying, like, what do you think it's like? And I wrote it down and the guy from the company goes, what? I go, just do it. Here's your check.
1: I love it. You've
0: been paid. I Write this that. dumb thing on this thing and he would have flipped it. <laughs> and his cousins are taking pictures in front of it like, so you know, good. that, um, that meme of the flash, you know, and you know, making the yeah, oh, yeah face, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in front of the gravesite. <laughs> that was my cousin. Because that not, was different cousin. Not because, not because they were like, oh, mocking the guy. It's because they thought it was the coolest thing ever, and yeah, um, they're making us what stupid thing? Well, put on my gravesite. But that whole idea, and we, he and I discussed the masculinity of like the Stone Cold Steve Austin sure. and the the Rock as he presented at the time, and Shawn Michaels, and all of these people, and what that said. And these were also guys who were. Who had wax chests?
1: Yeah, and, totally. um, did, Very specific girl. Um,
0: you know, I mean, yes. Yeah, <laughs> there was this whole thing. It's like, you know, some of them with the leopard. You know, totally. there were le- leopard spandex. I mean, I was a huge. My two favorites were, but I, we were younger. My, my heyday of that was the early '80s. Was Roddy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, totally. two men who could have, as they were dressed, been in gay porn because. Totally. They wore little teeny tiny <laughs> suits and, well, and stuff. That's, and and,
1: that's like that thing, that holographic nature of it, where you could either take it seriously yes. or you could you could take it for the text or you could take it for the subtext. And it sounds like your husband was taking it for the right. subtext. And the reason yes. why it has such a broad audience is it can go one way or another. And I think that, yes. that was the, that's the case with so much pop culture is you could listen to the music <laughs> and go, yeah, I am. Fucking angry, or you could listen to it and go like, "I'm <laughs> right. going to use this as a release to yes. to do something with." And for me, it was a release, but I know some people who are like, "I just don't know what to do with this. I don't know what to yes. do with it, all of this." And a lot of them joined and the it's military.
0: A... Oh yeah. Oh it's a chicken or the egg thing too. It's like, did Marilyn Manson right. create this and the people picked it up and adopted it? Or was he just reflecting something that was happening in the culture? And I right. think it was that way. I yeah, think, totally. well, the same thing with, I mean, and we can't leave hip hop out of it. Right. I mean, how many times do we have to talk about D Barnes and, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how do we, how yeah. many times do we have to talk about, you know, a certain now cuddly, uh, rap star who made his career calling people who look like me, bitches and hoes. Yeah, and, yeah. um, so and then we have Ben Folds. I was a big fan of, but I hated when he did "Um Bitches Ain't Shit" because it was like it's funny because it's a white guy on a on a piano singing. I it, was but so it's not. I was funny. so
1: duped by that time in pop culture. I was like the whole ironic because there was the other one. There was the um, Easy E cover. Do you remember that? There was a um, uh, God, I um. can't remember. It was like some white pop punk band. Yeah. I think that that's all the all that they did. And there was like such a weird time and like this like quote ironic thing. And it was like, we're not being clever.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's just And being then you go weird. into the Sarah Silverman and the, isn't it funny that I'm in blackface? No, right. it's not. Right. Um, no, and really that not. you can be ironically racist, but you're not, <laughs> you're not a real racist. I never, you know, burned a thing, but I did put on uh, the answer, my outfit, but it's ironic. Cause we both assume and most people, some people w- looking at it said, yeah, I'm not racist either, quote unquote, but what is racist? What does that right. mean? Boy, we went a long way into well, this. So. Of course. No, I love it. Well, I know, Alex, we you have to go do other things. <laughs> and so we want to honor your time because this conversation could go on forever. E- and we love easily. it. I, I, um, would,
1: I would be happy to pick it up in another format at another time. This has been y- the we fun. Will,
0: you're coming. We'd He's coming back. You, so back. you hear that, people? He said he would. I will. For um, sure. I would 12- love to. It's an, I I got a timestamp. We have receipts. Um, so anyway, um, this is the point Alex, where we ask you if you believe that this thing is cheesy after this discussion and if you care, if it is,
1: Okay, so no, I don't think that this is cheesy. I think this is a great record. I think this is unequivocally a great record. Awesome. I think Billy Corgan is cheesy. Speaking of which, of the wrestling stuff, we didn't even mention the fact that he owns the W the, uh, the NWA wrestling um, um, promotion, uh, which what? is a very no. He doesn't. Oh my god, yeah, crazy. He totally. Billy Corgan's like a very big deal in professional wrestling that is not Vince McMahon stuff. So um, yeah, so there's that whole thing. But I. I also I just have a soft spot for, um, you know, a messy boy, and that's what he is. A very
0: messy boy. And by the way, don't, don't we, So things- well, so the the conversation that we had before this was about the Barbara Streisand movie, The Mirror Has Two Faces. Oh, amazing. Um, and and but yeah, we we love a complicated person who isn't good for us. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I just wanted to say that full circle now, Billy Corrigan is featured as himself in the first episode of Muppets Mayhem, which is, have you seen it? No. Is it is new? one of the, no one is talking about it. It's on Disney Plus right now. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It's a 10 part series about the the electric mayhem, which is you know, right. Dr. The Teeth fan. and, yeah. and <laughs> Animal and Janice. That they basically, they <laughs> and have- Floyd. And, and Floyd. Oh my god. The big, it, it is the funniest thing okay. making oh, Leslie, any... you're you're stuck again. Oh no. Me so me will say again. So it's, yeah, so it's about the mayhem. It, it's about the happens. mayhem. And so basically it's like, um, Lily Singh who is playing a woman named Lily, who is a works for a record company realizes that the mayhem have an album that they were paid for that they never actually did because they figured as long as they had been on tour for 40 years and refused <laughs> to make this record. So she comes to them and says, you can either make this record or you can give us back the 500 what is now a $500 advance, $500,000 advance. And they choose to make a thing, but it, it's got, it is so crazy with um, with cameos and Billy Corgan is a cameo in the first that they're having this house party that literally they walk out, come she walks outside, comes back and there's all these people in the house because how would they get here? And Billy Corgan is there. And I thought, isn't it funny that Billy Corgan in his 50s, can make fun of himself that he's a guy that would be hanging out with this crazy stoner rock band <laughs> and they never say drugs, but everyone who was raised in the seventies and eighties understands that the joke with the mayhem is that they were hot yeah, all as hell. Yeah. of the time. And that my kid <laughs> is watching this and he's like, what is that joke? I go drugs. Cause we used to say to our dad, what is whiter shade of pale mean?" And he would say drugs, what does, you know, "Whores uh, with no name, very heavy drugs. And so, um, it's just funny that everything sort of comes back. Um, and I had to explain to him who Billy Corgan was. He goes, oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, "That, but that's who that—that's the answer. That's thats who he is. I don't care what yeah. it
1: means to you. You'll run into him again. Well,
0: Alex, <laughs> Alex where can people find you? Uh,
1: I, I would love if you, uh, if you're not already, I'd love if you listen to our show, You Are Good. Again, it's a feelings podcast about movies. You can hear both Leslie and Lynn on different episodes, and I'm sure you'll hear them again.
0: We'd love to. Well, Alex, this was amazing and fantastic, and I loved it. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. And, Leslie, keep it breezy, keep it cheesy. (laughs) Beautiful.
1: Thanks, y'all, so much. I had a great time. Amazing. bye -bye. Bye y'all.